Well, it's my privilege on behalf of the Pastor Search Committee to introduce to you once again Pastor Zach Reno, preaching in view of a call this morning. So let's give him and his family a warm in and welcome. Well, thank you so much, choir and uh, worship team. It is a pleasure uh, to be here. I'm going to lie to you if I wouldn't say I'm a little nervous. Uh, I walked in this morning, greeted a few people, and somebody came up to me and said, uh, Brother Zach, you left your car door open. Uh, so I went back out to and I closed my car door, but I do have my pants on, so I'm really excited <laughs> about that this morning. Uh, but we are so thankful uh, to get to be here today. Before we jump into God's Word, I want to First, just thank the Pastor Search Committee and for all that they've done during this time and speaking in this process with us. Uh, you really chose godly people to represent you well. Amen. <laughs> Secondly, I would like to thank my family who's on the front row here. I'd like to thank my wonderful wife who 15 years ago, just a few days ago, at our wedding, we had a song played at our wedding that says, If you say go, we will go. And uh, she has always put her yes on the table, and now she's accompanied this morning by two of our older children, who they also, for the glory of Jesus, have said, well, we'll put our yes on the table. If God wants our family in Alabama to win people about Jesus, they're here this morning as well. And so, guys, I, I love y'all, and I'm thankful for my family. Um, yeah, give them a hand. They deserve it. And then finally, Eden Baptist Church, we are here today after much prayer and discernment. And obviously, we are here because we feel the Lord has uh, spoken to us in the same way that He's spoken to the Pastor Search Committee. But that was aided by several different things. First, um, we love this community. Uh, my wife and I both grew up here. We graduated from Mortimer Jordan High School. I heard this past week a statement that I haven't heard in a long time. I see Daniel Arant here with me. A twinge kind of went up my back. It was that last night was Meet the Blue Devils. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I'm good as I, as I once was, but it kind of made me want to strap it on one more time. You know, let's... let's uh, <laughs> Let's go. We love this community. Uh, I went for a jog this last week and jogged by Reno Street, which is where uh, I was raised. And I looked up to the upstairs bedroom uh, where Jesus saved me at a 14, as a 14-year-old kid, the first in my family to come know Jesus. And so uh, there's a lot of altars here in this community for, for me of where God did a work in me and then got to see God do a work in my entire family. Secondly, I love Enon. We've always loved Enon Baptist Church. Um, uh, the, the friends we've made here over the years, and Brother Ken and, uh, and, and Brother John being the mentor that he has been uh, in my life in the years that I was able to serve here, and then friendships after that. And, and finally, I guess I would love for you to know here today that I have always believed the Lord for revival here at Eden Baptist Church. Uh, even when the, the Lord uh, moved us away from here after having served as a student pastor, uh, my wife jokes that we would always find, I would always take the long way to drive by Enon Baptist Church and would on several occasions just stretch my hand over here towards this church and say, God, would you just send your presence? Um, several occasions in the middle of the night uh, when we were in town visiting family, serving out of state as I would come and I would go enter that prayer room, which the code is still 9614, by the way, and you can come in any time. <laughs> and so... And I would come and I would meet with Jesus there in that room. And I would always pray, Oh Lord, would you send revival to Enon Baptist Church? I've always prayed that. And then I also know that today, with we all know what today means in the life of the church. The day that a prospective pastor comes and preaches in view of a call. It's an opportunity for you to add your voice to the voice that's already been given to the search committee in whom you represented. It's been a good process that served the church for centuries 
Uh, and however, as I prayed and sought the Lord this morning for what God would have me uh, to preach, as much as I would love to go back to one of my favorite passages in Scripture to preach, Brother John, you know, there's some that listen, I, some of your favorites. The Lord wouldn't let me do that today. And the reality is, is that as a pastor friend of mine uh, prayed over me and over our church this week, he said, Lord, Enon Baptist Church needs a word from God more than they need a pastor. And it's the Lord's day. And so today we just need to hear from the Lord. And as I kept praying and asking God, what does this mean? The word vision kept coming back to mind. After the search committee had extended the call for me to come and preach in view of a call, before I'd accepted that, we were in town on vacation. I came up here late one Sunday night and, uh, and made sure that nobody uh, was here. Because I'm telling you, your search committee, man, they are like the CIA. It needs to recruit them, man. It's, nobody knew anything anywhere. And so I was trying to be... Um, Cognizant of that to not have an Arkansas plate driving around your parking lot. So I came up here late one night and was praying. And I sat in the back of this parking lot over here. And I said, Lord, do you want our family here? And I opened up my Bible. It's not a great way to get, the word, uh, to get a word from the Lord on many occasions. But God has done it in my life several times. And my Bible opened up to Proverbs 29 verse 18. Where it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Vision is key for any healthy church. And vision casting is the responsibility of any pastor of any local church. Turn me your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 5. And I'll be beginning in verse 1. Peter says, he speaks of some of the responsibilities of a pastor. He says, so I exhort the elders or pastors among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, notice that, underline that in your Bibles there, chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This passage gives pastors several things that they should do and not do, but also several things that pastors should be. Instead of coming in this morning and just preaching a passage that uh, I'm excited about or something that I love, I, I want you to know today, and I believe God's Word has given us truth, we need to know what it means to be a pastor and what the role of a pastor is. So I want to give you today a vision of what I would desire to be as a pastor and also a vision of what I believe God would desire for his church. So the title of my message today is The Pastor I Would Desire to Be. And this is true wherever the Lord would lead our family. If you're keeping notes this morning, I have a few points. The first is this. This text reminds us that I should desire to be a pastor that leads the church well. Notice that in verse 2 it says that uh, Peter calls pastors to exercise oversight. That word oversight means administration. It means leadership. It's clear that pastors should lead the church. Dr. Adrian Rogers said concerning pastors in the church, he said that uh, anything with no head is dead, anything with two heads is a freak. Adrian Rogers is the only person in the world who can say that, by the way. But as you, even with that, that reality that pastors are called to leave, lead, it's not something that should be taken lightly. I want to give you a few ways, a few roles of leadership that should be expressed by a pastor that is honoring God. And this is what I would desire to do as far as in leadership and honoring God. First, a pastor's leadership should be a submissive role. It should be a submissive role. 
Notice here in this passage that he calls for the pastors to shepherd the flock of God among them. But he also says in verse 4, he talks about Jesus being the chief shepherd. Clearly, there's the picture that pastors should lead, but they should lead under the leadership of the chief shepherd, which is Jesus. Church family, I want you to know here this morning, you may call me as your pastor, but you've not gone without a shepherd in the last nine months or so. You have had a pastor, and his name has been Jesus. Because this is his church. It's no pastor's church. Secondly, a pastor's leadership should be a spiritual role. If a pastor is to be the under-shepherd of the chief shepherd, well, then he better be getting orders from headquarters. He's got to be walking with Jesus regularly. The personal nearness with God is key for those in whom God used within Scripture. Jesus often went away to hear from his father. Moses and Joshua regularly stayed in the tent of meeting to seek the face of God. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, the apostles said that their first priority in ministry was the ministry of prayer and the word. I want to be honest. We're all honest with you here today, Eden Baptist Church. I have no confidence today in my wisdom. I have no confidence today in my strength, education, experience, giftings in order to lead you towards God. But at the same time, I am fully convinced that God has called me to pastor His church. This creates within me a holy, divine dilemma. My inability with God's call. However, this holy dilemma leads me to a place of urgent desperation for His help. And when I go to Him, I'm reminded of John chapter 15 that it's not about me. That I'm a branch in and of myself can do nothing, but Jesus is the vine and and I am the branch. And if I abide in him and he abides in me, then I can bear much fruit. I want you to know, church family, that if the Lord calls me today to be your pastor, it will not be my desire to be the greatest preacher you've ever had. It will not be my desire to be the greatest pastor you ever had. It will not be my desire to be the smartest leader you've ever had. But it will be my greatest desire to be the greatest prayer warrior and the greatest lover of Jesus you've ever had. I believe that if I do that well, then God will take care of everything else. Amen? And finally, a pastor's leadership is a sobering role. Exercise oversight. You go lead. But go lead with the reality of knowing one day I won't stand before him. James said that not many of you be teachers, for you will endure a harsher judgment. One of the most humbling thoughts as a pastor is the day that one day I will give an account to Jesus for the bride of Christ. When I was just called to be the pastor at Arley First Baptist Church, my first senior pastor position, I'd been there just a few weeks, and we were leaving to drive here to Mars to go see family, and I stopped and made a, hosp- a hospital visit there at Walker Baptist Hospital, and I was getting gas right after that, we were going to make our way to Morris. As I was pumping gas, my wife was going into the uh, convenience store for something, and I heard a whistle and a cat call. Kind of stepped out from behind the gas pump and recognized that a guy a few pumps down was looking at my wife, and he had just cat called. Well, in that moment, the pastor, Zach, kind of drifted away. <laughs> And I yelled over, I said, hey. He looked at me, I said, that's my wife. He said, hey man, I'm just, as Walker County can only do, hey man, I'm just giving her a compliment. (laughs) I said, that ain't your place. He started walking towards me. He looked like Dog the Bounty Hunter. He had uh, (laughs) yellow hair down to cut off sleeves, and I started walking towards him. I said, here it goes. Been a pastor two weeks, and I'm about to scratch around out here in the parking lot. He stretched his hand out, and I shook his hand, and he said, uh, I'm sorry. And he got back in his car and left. 
He turned around. Kimberly had noticed what was happening. She was in the convenience store with 911 on her phone. <laughs> and uh, after it was over with that next week, I told our deacons at Arley, and we laughed about it. And I said, yeah, I guess I probably would have uh, resigned. Our deacons at Arley said, Brother Zach, I think we would have given you a raise. <laughs> but the truth was this. That was my bride. And I'm jealous for her. Let me tell you something here today, church. I can't imagine Jesus' love for the bride. And as a pastor, one day I will give an account to that. I don't desire to be a celebrity. I don't desire here today to do anything but to honor Him. I'm a servant of Jesus. Secondly, here today, I desire to be a pastor that sets an example to the church well. Notice in verse 3, he says, pastors, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the, to the flock. The word, the Greek word used here for example is tupos. It, it's the same word where we get type for typewriter. For those of you who remember what those were, okay? A typewriter functions by, it is already a predetermined form on a typewriter. And once it goes, once it is engaged, it goes through a band of ink. And then it puts that mark on the piece of paper. Paul uses this same, picture, this same picture when he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Be imitators of me as I am imitators of Christ. Now let me say this here today. Pastors are not perfect people, and I assure you I am not. I have struggles physically, emotionally, and spiritually all the time. But as Paul spoke about, I can honestly boast in my weaknesses here today. However, as a pastor, it is my desire to serve it as an example of holiness and a pursuit of God, even in my struggles, that models to the church what it means to follow God. I would say to you here today that as God moves and works in my life, my desire would be is that He would move and work in our lives. And the same is true in the church, that as God works and moves in your life, that it would be a blessing and move in my life. But I have that responsibility as a pastor. All of us know here today the way that our lives were impacted by those in, in leadership, those in pastors and ministers, spiritual leaders in our life that made forever impacts on us, where their mark was stamped on us like that typewriter. Jerry Turner taught me how to pray. John Hembright taught me how to win souls. Steve Gaines taught me how to love and live in God's Word. Bill Ellis taught me how to walk in humility. And if God would call me to be your pastor here today, I would attempt to be an example to the church. Thirdly, as I desire to be a pastor who walks in, in humility before the church well. In verse 5, we see Peter calling for those who serve as elders to be humble in saying with humility towards one another there in verse 5. For God opposes the proud and He gives grace to the humble. That is sobering, by the way. You can be doing the right thing and God wants to bless that in a sense. But if you do it in pride, God would rather shut a movement of God down to discipline pride than He would to just let it keep going. Sadly, in our day, humility is not a concept that is celebrated in our culture. And sadly, it's not even celebrated among the pastorate. Some pastors today care more about their Twitter followers, name recognition, than what boards and committees they sit on, and they can aspire sometimes to be more celebrities and supermodels than they can servants of God. Junior Hill said Baptist pastors are some of the only people in the world who can strut sitting down. And this was true even in Jesus' day. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 40, speaking of the Pharisees, He said, Behold, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the feast, who devour widows' houses for pretense, make long prayers. They will receive a great condemnation. Now I can say to you here today that I've never, I can't say to you here today that I've never struggled with pride as it creeps up in my life and other people's life, but I can say to you here today that God has always been faithful to kill that and to address that in my life. I remember leaving here at Eden Baptist Church to make my way to Bellevue to serve there. And I remember uh, being so thankful for the way that the Lord allowed me to serve him here at Enon. And I remember walking into this uh, 8,000 seat sanctuary and looking around and thinking, God, you've sent me here, man, I'm going to be the next Adrian Rogers. You know what I did the next six months? I set out chairs in Sunday school rooms and I made coffee for six months. And I tell you, it was the best six months of my life in ministry. All the way to the point to where one evening on my face before God, I said to the Lord, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to be famous. I just want to be yours. I just want to be yours. And I want to say to you here today, that is still my desire. I don't want to be famous. I wouldn't desire that everybody in Morris and Kimberly and North Jefferson think that Zach Reno is the greatest pastor, preacher in the world. What I would desire here today is that Eden Baptist Church would be marked with the presence of Jesus. And then finally this morning, I would desire to be a pastor that shepherds the church well. Look back with me at the beginning of this passage. He says to the elders... Among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That word shepherd the church can be broken down into two main responsibilities for pastors. It is to feed the sheep and it is to lead the sheep. Now I want to dive deeply into those just for a few moments. First, it is my responsibility as God's pastor to feed God's people His word. If it be the Lord's will for me to be your pastor, this is something that I will take this responsibility very highly as we open up God's Word. Again, it is one of the greatest responsibilities of a pastor. The greatest responsibilities of a pastor is to be ministry of prayer and the Word. I love making hospital visits and visiting people and ministering to people. But first and foremost, priority is that we have to pray and intercede and bring the Word of God. Let me give you a few things that you need to know concerning my view of the ministry of God's Word to God's people. First, I desire that every sermon I preach be truth-centered. My desire is the foundation of every sermon preached from this pulpit would be from the truth of God's Word. God's Word. Our church, our world doesn't need my opinion. It doesn't need Fox's opinion. It doesn't need CNN's opinion. It doesn't need culture's opinion. It doesn't need celebrities' opinion. It doesn't need president's opinion. We need the opinion of the one true God. Because here's the, th- here's the deal. If it's God's opinion, it's not opinion. It's truth. I sincerely attempt at every sermon will secondly be tested in my own heart. I don't ever want to preach a message that hasn't first preached to me. Thirdly, I desire and seek for God's Word and the sermons that I preach to be timely, speaking to the needs of the day and leading God's people. My desire is not just to be a pastor, but I pray, O Lord, make me a prophet. Help me to be one who hears from the Lord and speaks and says, Thus says the Lord with the authority and power of Scripture. Fourthly, I desire that my sermons would always be targeted towards life change. 
That when we preach, when we come in here, we open up God's Word. We're not just here just for intellectual gain, not just for cranial, but we're here, as Dr. Robert Smith says, for cardio work. We're here for God to work in our hearts and lives. That we want to see God's people take steps closer towards Him. And we want to see those who do not know Him come to know Him in a real way. That's why no matter what we're talking about on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, whenever it may be, is we're going to give people an opportunity to come to know Jesus. Also, I would seek to allow... And pray that God would allow me to be a vessel in whom when we open up God's Word, that our sermons in God's Word are touched by the hand of God. When we mean that, we mean anointed by the Holy Spirit. Here's the deal. I know personally that I can put a message together. I can preach God's Word. But there's a difference between just putting a message together, hearing from the Lord, and the anointing of God, the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing over that. That's why the same importance of preaching the Word is in prayer. And I would say, oh God, would you anoint me for your name and glory With the anointing of God. And then finally, I would attempt that the pulpit be a place for training for the next generation. I will let you know up front that every four to six weeks on a Sunday morning is that I'm not going to preach. I'll be here, but I'm not going to preach. It would be my desire to see young men like uh, Luke, one of your middle school pastors, and to pray that as God brings a team together, that God raises up even more people, that we give the opportunity for young pastors and young preachers to be developed. If we're going to reach the next generation, we have to do that. Let me tell you why I feel so passionately about that. It's because about 10 years ago, there was a guy named John Hambright who looked at a young uh, youth minister, Zach Reno, and once a month on Sunday morning and Sunday night, he would give me the pulpit, and he would sit on that front row just like he is right there. And he would cheer me on and we would talk afterwards. And I remember going to seminary and looking at all these young other young pastors and young youth ministers. And, and I would tell them what my pastor did for me. And they would, they would say, we don't ever get those opportunities. I left here and I had the opportunity to serve under Dr. Steve Gaines, who gave me on several occasions the opportunity to preach to Bellevue Baptist uh, Church. I remember uh, uh, going up one time and being prepared uh, to do that. My brother called me. I was a nervous wreck and he prayed for me. And the last thing he said before he got off the phone, he said, hey, man, don't mess up. <laughs> but here, here's the truth, and I want you to know this here today. There once was a time when we saw among the next generation, we saw students give their life to Christ, and we started seeing men get called to preach. Think about that. When was the last time in Baptist Church, we had a young man come forward, and we put him in front of the church, and we said, this man has said he's called to preach. We started walking with him. Can I tell you something? We need it today more than ever. We need it today more than ever. The next generation to be raised up. But you don't do that if you don't make room for that. And again, it's not about me. It's about the glory of God. And then secondly, it's not just my responsibility to feed God's people, but it's also my responsibility to lead God's people. As I said at the beginning of this passage, one of the main responsibilities of a pastor... Is to lead and to hear from God and cast vision for where we should go. The church family, as I have prayed and asked God, say, God, what would you desire to do at Enon Baptist Church? The only word that I keep getting back from the Lord is revival. Some of you have lived through revival. We're going to talk in just a few seconds about reaching the next generation. Can I tell you something? We need the previous generation. We need some of you senior saints who knows what it means to be in a prayer meeting or a brush harbor meeting where you got on your face before the Lord, a camp meeting where you wept for days and just called out for the power of God. You saw the movement of God. We need you to be those who pray and help usher that in in the next generation. It may not look the same way it did in your day, but the same Spirit of God is what we need. We need revival. 
You know what? I, there was a statement that I heard in high school. As God was doing a work there at Gardendale's First Baptist, just a few miles up the road, I got to see my brother come to faith in Christ. God was doing a work in my life, and there was measures of revival that was there. And I remember this statement that came out of that. Revival ruins people. Revival ruins you. Because when you've sat in the presence of God, nothing else satisfies. Just going to church doesn't satisfy anymore. Going through the motions is not what you desire anymore. Revival ruins people. And my prayer would be at Eden Baptist Church that we would be ruined. We would be ruined until God rends the heavens and comes down. Richard Owen Roberts said, Revival is an extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results. For revival to take place, there's always a few keys. Prayer, fasting, and repentance. And if the Lord calls me to be your pastor in the days to come, we will talk about that. But I do believe that there are some marks that come out of revival that you know when God is at work. I want to give you very briefly this morning ten things that I would pray that Indian Baptist Church would be that would, that would mark that revival has come. First, I would desire that Indian Baptist Church be a spiritual church. You say a spiritual church, I'm talking about a church that is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about men like Stephen, who are men who are full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now, can, when you start talking about the Holy Spirit in a Baptist church, people get wigged out a little bit. Can I tell you something here today? The Holy Spirit's not weird. People are weird. But when the Holy Spirit is working, you know it's Him. And as we go into darker and darker days in our nation, and the reality of persecution becomes more and more of a reality, can I tell you something here today? They're not having a whole lot of debates in China and North Korea about the functions of the Holy Spirit. They're just asking God to come. Can I tell you something here today? We pray that we would be a spiritual church. Secondly, I would pray that Eden Baptist Church would be a supplicating church. A church that we pray first and pray often. Jesus said that my house should be called a house of prayer. Not a house of preaching, not a house of fellowship, not a house of anything else that we do in church or singing and everything else. Those things are wonderful. But first and foremost, my house should be called a house of prayer. My dream would be is that when we have two services on Sunday morning, that if we have a prayer gathering, we got to have two services for the prayer gathering. Because people know that the prayer gathering is just as important as the worship hour. Thirdly, I would desire that we would be a soul-winning church. That regularly we are pointing people to Jesus. That we would have that heart of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, where it says, We beg you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That this is what we do. We do it in our homes. We do it in our neighborhoods. We do it in people around us. That everybody becomes a missionary. Everybody is a soul winner. As many homes and rooftops and subdivisions that are going in in this community. It doesn't even look like home anymore in some ways. I tried to go for a jog on uh, Stouts Road and almost died. (laughs) Can I tell you something here today? There's not a reason in this world that in 10 years, Indian Baptist Church couldn't baptize a thousand people. Think about that. If we're willing to pray, and if everyone's willing to share the gospel... Invite people to church. Believe that God's going to save people on Sunday and save people in the living rooms. You know what? A church that believes that God's going to save people. Can I tell you what happens? He saves people. Fourthly, I would desire that Indian Baptist Church be a strong scriptural church. It means that making disciples who are grounded in God's Word would be something that allows them to be able to stand without compromise in the face of culture. 
In the days ahead, I believe you're going to see three types of churches. I believe you're going to see closed churches. Churches that just closed because they stopped reaching people. They stopped discipling people. They took a mindset of saying, this is, what, this is our safety and security, and then we'll just go our own ways. They don't engage the culture. They withdraw from it. You'll see churches close. You'll see churches compromise. It's happening already. One of the oldest adoption organizations in the world, Bethany Christian Services, has recently opened up uh, their adoptions uh, to the LGBTQ community. We see it over and over again within churches and denominations. The reality is you will see compromised churches, but then there will be a third church that you will see in the days ahead, and it will be the committed church. It will be the church that's committed to God, that's committed to God's Word, that's committed to prayer. And you know what? That will be the church that will suffer persecution, but Jesus will walk with them through every moment of it. Fifthly, I would desire the Enon Baptist Church to be a student-filled church. When I say student-filled church, that would mean a church that reaches the next generation. It is the responsibility of every church, about every 20 years, to re-up to reach the next generation. Enon Baptist Church has always done that. I was reminded this last week, Brother Ken, that I was the very first full-time student pastor. And that was one of the reasons because... Ken McWilliams, in his years, took on that responsibility to develop a student ministry here. So Enon's always had that reputation of being those who have reached uh, this next generation in the community. Can I tell you something here today? Those of us who were in the youth group or around the youth group, we're not in the youth group anymore. People are having babies. See, Malin up here singing, his sweet little boy walked up yesterday. I said, hello, what's your name? He said, my name is Malin. I was like, how about that? I feel old. You know what happens? It's time for Enon Baptist Church again to say it's time to reach the next generation. And it's time to do whatever we need to do to do that. Michael Catt said this, whoever wants the next generation the most is the one that's going to have them. Let me say something to you here today. Reaching the next generation usually means that word that none of us ever like to talk about, which is change. Can I say something to you here today? We don't need to be afraid of change. We never change the message. We may change the methods. But at the end of the day, it's always about reaching people. Kimberly and I went to the beach just this last week. You remember if you ever went to the beach, it was always the planes flying by with the banners, you know, come and go to Waterville or, you know, we've got oysters on this place or whatever it is. I don't know, you people who eat, eat oysters, ugh. Anyway, <laughs> we went this past week and saw very few of those. But I did see a giant ship that went up and down the beach for miles with the largest LED screen I had ever seen. And you could see it from 200 yards away, rotating announcements. And you know what? I, it was great. It was so much better than the plane going over that if you missed it, you had no idea what it said. It was going by. And I thought this moment, I thought of that moment. I said, you know what? The church has got to be willing to do that. We don't change the message. You don't change what's on the board, but you change the methods to reach the next generation. Several years ago, and I'll say this very briefly, I had the great privilege of going in Memphis to preach at Burclair Baptist Church. It was a church that had a sanctuary of about 1,500 people, this huge building, and I was asked to come and preach on a Wednesday night. They were without a pastor. It took me 15 minutes trying to find my way into this church because every way was locked. Finally, I made my way to what looked like it was its former sanctuary at one point, this little small chapel, very similar to here at Enon, where you have the new sanctuary and the old sanctuary. I could see a few cars. And as I made my way in, it was a few people in the sanctuary, and I said, is this where the Wednesday night service of Burke Baptist Church is? They said, yes. So I preached the message, and I did that. And I said, do you mind if I look around? They said, sure. 
I went to the catwalk to where this new building had been. And it was not only locked, but it was foam insulated around the corners where none of the air conditioning, heating and air could get out. And I couldn't, I finally went down in the basement and made my way up into this sanctuary. And this, this sanctuary with 1,500 people had once set with education space to reach people right and left. Now was closed off, was sealed up, and they had went backwards to this small little sanctuary. And here's the deal. It's one point in, in, in time, at some place in the life of that church, they made a decision to stop reaching the next generation. Every church, Enoch Baptist Church, is one generation away from that. If you look around this room here today, we've got a lot of great adults, a lot of senior adults, a lot of people that with kids and high school kids. Let me tell you something here. It's time to say we reach the next generation again. A student-filled church. Sixthly, that we would be a sending church. A church that sends to our neighbors, but also sends people to the nations. That we don't give to Lottie Moon just financially to give them finances, but we pray that God raises up here at Enon Baptist Church people to go to the nations. That we go to our communities. We go to cities around us. That we become a church that plants churches. Why not do that? Why not believe that, that we could be that kind of church? Seventh, I would desire that we would be a singing church. A church that is always keeps John 4 in mind that the Lord is seeking those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. That we do like we did this morning, but we continue to do that even better. Where we honor, man, we sing some of these great anthems of the faith, but at the same time as God is giving new visions, God is giving new songs to these new generations that we intertwine those as Enon has always done to say we're going to do both well, that we're people who worship God in spirit and in truth. That when people walk out of here on Sunday mornings, they say it was good to have been in the house of the Lord. Eighth, I would desire that we would be a serving church. A church that loves the community well. I heard a statement years ago that if the doors of your church were to close tomorrow, would anybody in the community ever know it? That's a good question to ask. Does anybody in Morris, Alabama know if Enon Baptist Church was to close? Would anybody in Kimberly, Alabama or Warrior know if Enon Baptist Church was to close? Are we providing such a vital ministry, Matthew 25 type ministry to the, to the hurting, to the broken? We're providing such a ministry among the, 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 the addicts. We're providing such a ministry among single moms, such a ministry among those who are struggling with their sexuality. Can I tell you something? That, that's a reality. We can push back on that, but we can say, no, we'll step into that. We don't agree with what culture is saying, but Jesus loves you and we want to help you that we're willing to step into that. If we believe that today, then we have to be a church that serves. I heard somebody say, once people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Ninth, that we would be a stewarding church. A church that brings the whole tithe into the storehouse. I'm a pastor who believes that Storehouse tithing is something you see even, even at the very beginning of Scripture, and you see it all throughout Scripture, that, that our right response is to bring God the tithe, the tenth, and as an expression of worship that the ninety belongs to Him. And as God's people do that, that our generosity begins to flow to the community around us. That we're able to financially help and step into moments of brokenness. And then finally, I would desire that Enon Baptist Church be a church that sticks together. A church that walks in unity. You know what Jesus said about unity? He said the world would know who he is by the way that we love one another. Brother John, I heard John Bassanio preach at Bellevue Baptist Church one time years ago. And he made this statement. He said, a church that hugs is a church that loves. Now, all you people with distance issues, you just cringed a little bit. I'm sorry about that, all right? 
We can do side hugs if we need to, but we're going to hug. You say, man, that sounds incredible. How do we get there? How does a church become that way? As I prayed through that this last week, a thought came to mind again, and it was revival. None of those things happen among the church until God does a work in the church. Has God ever used this season, this corona season, this COVID season, to maybe set you aside and God work in your heart and life? If, if you've been frustrated with everything or scared of everything, but God hasn't spoken to you during this time, then you've missed something. I've heard people say, why do we see this spike again? Maybe God's not finished doing whatever he's wanting to do among the church. I'll tell you what God did in me. It was one day I sat down and I made the decision that I was going to read through the book of Revelations during this season. I got to Revelation chapter 11. The Bible says that after the seventh trumpet is blown, that God is going to come. It's speaking about his, his earthly return. And he's going to judge all the nations. This one is all said and done. But then there's one little statement there in Revelation 11. It says, but then he is going to reward. And he gives four specific things. He's going to reward his bondservants, his prophets, his saints, and those who fear his name. I, was, I, I, I stopped. So this is a big deal. When it's all said and done, when all the chips are on the table and Jesus comes back, he's going to reward these four types of people. Not one of the four, but that the people are all four at all times. What does it mean to be a bondservant? It means, Jesus, I am yours. My life is not my own. It is Galatians where Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Eden Baptist Church, revival will not come today until your life is totally and entirely his. Does God have your checkbook? Does God have your hobbies? Does God have your internet time? Does God have your family? Does God have your children? Does God have your vacations? Does God have your retirement? Is he everything all the time in your life? Are you his bondservant? A prophet. You say, well, man, I'm not a prophet. You're like Amos. I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet, you know. Let me tell you something. Every one of us have been called to be prophets. You say, how do you see that to be the case? Because what is a prophet? A prophet is somebody who hears from God. And speaks. You know what happens when somebody comes to know Jesus? God calls you to himself wonderfully and holy. He saves you. And then you go and speak. The greatest thing that we would see if we see revival today is the people who are willing to go tell people about Jesus. Each and every one of us that we step in that boldness to say, God, I've not been obedient. I've not wept for my community. I've not wept for my neighborhood. Oh, God, make me a prophet. A saint. Somebody who's clean. Can I ask you something here today, church family? Are you clean? Are you clean before Jesus? Hey, I'm getting down in the nitty gritty here. This is, this is, this is, there's no sense in playing around with it. If we really want to see revival, are we clean? Maybe there's some habits that need to be laid down here today. Maybe you need to come with a brother or sister in Christ and say, pray over me. I'm walking in a stronghold. God wants to break that today and bring revival in your heart. I got a text message just yesterday after the Q&A from one of the church members here. And he made the statement about how he had drifted away, but how God was already starting to draw him back. And I set that moment. I said, oh God, you're starting revival already. And in those who fear his name, if there's anything 
that we've all dealt with in the last year and a half? It's fear. One way or another, we've all dealt with fear. You know, it's one of the greatest cures to fear is you can't walk in peace without faith. And the reality is, is that all of us need to come back to that reality, that place of faith of saying, God, who do I have to fear but you? I don't have to fear a virus. I don't have to fear what's going on in my bank account. I don't have to fear what the culture may say. My neighbor, if I share the gospel with him, Jesus, I fear you and you alone. I walk in reverent awe of you. Church family, I ask you here today, how many things are you worried about? How many things are rushing through our mind all the time that cloud space and ultimately hinder the working of the kingdom of God? When Jesus says, just fear me, just love me, just seek me. I had that time with God. Let me tell you something. I can't tell you how many times I pray those four things over my heart and life. And every time I do, I get perspective. And often, my heart and soul is revived. The two greatest moments in every Christian's life is first when they first come to know Jesus. You know, the second greatest moment is, is the regular occurrence of the revival of God in their heart and life. Church family... Again, I know you're going to vote here in a few moments. Can I, and I mean this before God. I may not be your pastor. But hear this today. The chief shepherd wants you to know that he wants to send revival to you. The chief shepherd wants to move in your heart and life today. And we've got to get just desperate enough to say that's what I want. So this is what I'm going to invite you to do this morning. I'm going to ask Brother Ken if we can play softly. I'm going to ask you to stand. And in this holy moment, as the Spirit of God is moving and working in your heart and life, what if God started revival today? I mean that. What if God started revival today? First thing I want to ask, is for every head bowed, every eye closed. If my first question is this. Do you, are you in this room today? You don't need revival. You just need to truly know Jesus. Maybe you've got religion, maybe you come to church, or maybe you don't even do that, but you're here today, and you're like that 14-year-old Zach Reno who got invited to church, walked in the room, and heard that there was a God who loved me. And I want you to know this here today. There is a God who loves you, and all that brokenness and emptiness in your heart is because in guilt that you feel, you know, is the reality of sin. We've all sinned against a holy God, but He gave His Son Jesus on the cross. Jesus' sinless, perfect sacrifice gave his life on the cross for your sin that you could know him. And can I tell you something here today? If you'll call out to Jesus right there where you are, he can save you and change your life forever. So I'm going to invite you right there where you are. If you don't know Jesus today, would you maybe pray a very simple prayer like this with me to the Lord? Would you say, dear Jesus? This could be you here today. Say, dear Jesus. I don't know you. I don't really know you. But I want to know you. And I give my life to you. Jesus, I ask you, will you save me? Save me, Lord. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, I'm not going to ask you to come forward and embarrass you in any way, but this is just between you and I. If you ask Jesus to save you this morning, would you just glance up at me? Just make eye contact with me. Keep your eyes on me right there where you are. Is that you here today? Again, amen. Is that you here this morning? You say, Pastor Zach, that's me. I asked Jesus to save me. 
this morning, just glance up. Again, this is just between you and I. I'm just going to pray for you. Is that you this morning? If you did, if you asked Jesus to save you this morning, that at some point in the days ahead, we want you to write that on that card that's in the seat back in front of you. We'll have pastors up here in just a few moments who would love to pray for you and would love to help you know what it means to take your next steps. But then secondly, this is my second prayer. Church family, are you in need of revival? If you are, the promise of God is if we draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. So I want us to do things a little different this morning. Our pastors are going to be available. This altar is open. Right there where you are, you can make an altar. But today, can we kneel before God, humbly before God, and say, God, I want to be your bondservant. My life is yours. I want to be a prophet. God, help me to share the gospel with those around me. I want to be a saint. God, cleanse me. Forgive me, oh Lord. And I want to be one who fears your name. God, help my priorities be totally about the kingdom, oh God. Can I tell you something? Sometimes it's good to get low before God to have those type of prayers. And I would say this, don't get up until God's done a work in your heart. Amen? So this is what I'm going to do. We're going to continue to play softly. And I'm just going to invite you to come. You can begin to come now if you'd like to kneel at this altar. Or if you want to kneel there at your seat. But I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, you feel free to move. And let's just move all over this room today. Can we do that? Can we just have church today? Can we go meet with God today? Let's move and get with the Lord. One, two, three. Let's go. Would you go spend some time with Jesus? Make an altar out of your seat. Make an altar right there where you are. Church family, if you've got gossip in your life, now's the time to repent of that. Maybe you've gossiped against someone who's even here this morning. Spend your time with God. Maybe you need to go to that person today and say, I'm sorry. I repent of my sin. Maybe you've got a stronghold, again, in your heart and life. An ongoing sin or struggle that's secret to everybody in the world but God. Would you confess that to Him right there where you are? And then I encourage you, once you do that, to go confess that to a brother or sister in Christ this morning. Or one of our pastors who's on the front row right here would, be, would love to pray for you. Church family, as the Spirit of the Lord is moving right there at your pews. Again, do you know Jesus here today? If you don't really know Jesus today, call out to Him say, Jesus, I want to know you. It's not a game. It's real. The Son of God loves you. He wants to be near to you here today. Listen, church, God's calling softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. God is calling you here today. Just respond and say, Jesus, I want you. Holy Spirit, would you just lead today? God, would you reveal, Lord Jesus, any sin? God, search us, oh God, know us. Try us and know our anxious thoughts, oh God. See if there be any hurtful way in us, oh Lord, and lead us in the everlasting way, oh God. Father, those who are not fully surrendered to you, God, I pray to do it right now. Father, those who are, God, are not sharing the gospel and not hearing from you and reflecting Jesus to those around them, God, we repent of that, Father. Pray, God, you'd send people out. God, saints, Lord, wash, I pray. Wash of sin, God. Wash of bitterness, Lord, towards one another. God, wash of 
God, show, Holy Spirit, you can show sin. And then, God, help us to fear your name. In Jesus' name. You continue to meet with the Lord right there where you are. The pastor's on the front row. Brother Ken, will you come and lead us?